The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. I invite you once again to open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus. We're going to read Leviticus chapters 2 and 3. Now Leviticus 1 was read during the scripture reading. We are covering quite a large section, but I'm trying to encapsulate this whole orbed picture of worship in chapters 1 through 3. I hope you don't mind staying later. The deacons will be providing lunch in the middle of the service. So, I think I forgot to tell you guys that. Leviticus chapter 2, let's now give our attention to God's Word as we read chapters 2 and 3. Remember, even though this is the book of Leviticus, this is God's very Word to us, His people today. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. When you bring a grain offering baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. And you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. And the priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offerings. No grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. As an offering of first fruits, you may bring them to the Lord, but they shall not be offered on the altar for a pleasing aroma. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer for the grain offering of your first fruits fresh ears roasted with fire, crushed new grain, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. And the priest shall burn as its memorial portion some of the crushed grain and some of the oil with all of its frankincense. It is a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head 
of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons and priests shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidney. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood of the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering for a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord is an animal from the flock, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord, lay his hand on the head of his offering, and kill it in front of the tent of meeting, and Aaron's sons shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then from the sacrifice of the peace offering he shall offer as a food offering to the Lord its fat. He shall remove the whole fat tail cut off to the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn it on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord and lay his hand on its head and kill it in front of the tent of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. Then he shall offer from it as his offering for a food offering to the Lord, the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dealing, in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy an inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, I want to begin by asking uh, the women in here a question, a survey of sorts. Would you see it as loving or selfish if your man brought you a gift that pleased him? I still remember, I have an extended uh, family member who bought his wife a hunting rifle. And I still don't, I don't think he was joking. Now, I know in Wyoming that would probably be more fitting, but he had no interest in that. Or later on, he bought her a table saw. I'm not kidding. Uh, this, this, this really happened. You can ask my mom. She's with us today. Uh, this this is a true story. And the question is, was that a nice gift for his wife? Something that pleased him? Is that loving or is that selfish? Or would you consider a gift loving something that pleases you? 
something that you enjoy. Where he shows that he knows what you want and what you like. Something we would even consider a thoughtful gift. Which one would be more appropriate? Well, I think we would see it being more loving to give you a gift showing that he knows what you desire. Something that you love. Well, when it comes to worshiping our God and showing our devotion to Him, it is not by expressing the things that please us. I want to express myself the way I want to express myself, and surely the Lord will desire that, things that are pleasing to me. Rather, we want to do the things that God desires, the things that please God. And God does not keep us guessing as to what that is, even in the details. And this is what we have in the first three chapters of Leviticus. The, the gifts and offerings of worship that we bring to God in order to worship Him. As one commentator put it, the first three offerings here in chapters 1-3, through three, taken together and in order, present an ideal worship scenario. But of course, in all of this, we need to see how they point to Christ, and then how we apply this as New Covenant Christians. So we're going to look at three offerings revealing the way in which we worship God. And the outline is based on the chapter divisions. The first is the burnt offering in chapter 1. The second is the grain offering or gift offering in chapter 2. And then the third is the peace offering or the fellowship or communion offering in chapter 3. So first, the burnt offering. And this is referred to as the whole burnt offering because the whole animal was burnt and offered up. No part of it was eaten. This is a sacrifice that was offered up specifically so that the worshiper may draw near to God to worship Him. So that He may come into God's presence in order to praise Him, in order to pray to Him, in order to sing to Him, in order to give him thanks and his gifts and offerings. And we learned several things from this sacrifice. First, we learned that any worship whatsoever to come into God's presence must come through the sacrifice. The Hebrew word for this offering means to ascend, to go up. That's literally what it means. So in the Hebrew, this offering is referred to as an ascension offering. And it is referring to the smoke that ascends, that goes up to heaven, that gets to God, if you will. And what this is picturing is that any offering or worship to get to God in heaven from earth must come through the sacrifice that God requires. Nothing gets to God except through the sacrifice. And this, of course, points us to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is that sacrifice, who is the one who brought us to God. All our worship, offering, thanksgiving, praises and prayers come to the Father only through Christ and His sacrifice. And we see this clearly stated in the New Testament. 
Just to give a couple of examples. Hebrews 13.15 says, Through Him, that is through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. We tend to focus on the part that says, let us continually sacrifice, uh, offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. But what we miss is the part where we tend to look over the part that says, through Him. The only way that we can offer up sacrifice of praise is through Christ. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do for God must be in the name of Jesus. That is on the basis of His reputation, His merits, His representation before God on our behalf. This is why we end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. It's not a magical formula that suddenly makes our prayer appear before God. Or it's not the, the end of a, like a radio transmission over and out. Rather, it is a conscientious acknowledgement that we are approaching God only on the basis of Christ's name. His merits, His righteousness, His reputation, that we rely on that to get to God and none of our merits work or righteousness whatsoever. So we can only approach God to worship Him on the basis of this sacrifice. A second thing we learn, and very much related to this, is that this is the only way for us to be accepted by God so that we may worship Him. Verse 3, If His offering is a burnt offering from the herd, He shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that He may be accepted before the Lord. So this burnt offering must be without blemish. That is, it must be perfect as it pertains to an animal. Without defect, without maim, without anything wrong with it whatsoever. We see this even in verse 9 with the washing of the entrails and the legs with water, making sure that all the dung is removed before the sacrifice is offered so that it's pure. And what this is picturing is that any and all worship that comes before God must be perfect. Because He is perfect. But because the worshiper cannot be perfect, the burden is placed on the sacrifice to be perfect on behalf of the worshiper. And this perfection of the sacrifice is our acceptance. As it says here, it is to be without blemish and brought to the entrance of the tabernacle that is brought into the presence of God so that He may be accepted before the Lord. The worshiper's acceptance is based not on his perfection, but on the perfection of the sacrifice offered up on his behalf. And of course, this points us to our Lord Jesus 
Christ who offered up Himself as the only perfect sacrifice. That was the only perfect thing ever offered up to God on man's behalf. And it is Christ's perfection, Christ's perfect righteousness and atoning sacrifice by which we are accepted by God. Our acceptance is not based on anything we do. Trying to be perfect or holy enough for God to accept us. Trying to measure up with enough holiness so that God will hear us or receive us. It is not the fact that we come to God even and offer Him something unlike the rest of the pagan world by which we are accepted by God. Well, God should be glad that I even came. Others didn't come. He should be happy at that. The fact that I came should be my acceptance. No, not at all. It is not the mere fact that we are sincere. That's not our acceptance. It is not the mere fact that we are really zealous or on fire for the Lord. Oh, if I'm on fire for the Lord, then God will really accept me. We should be sincere. We should be zealous for the Lord. But that is not the basis for our acceptance before God. Rather, the reason we are accepted by God is because of the sacrifice and the sacrifice alone. As the hymn goes, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demand. Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no respite know? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and Thou alone. And so the third thing we learn is that the burden is off of us and is on the sacrifice which the hand-laying act communicates. Look at verse 4. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Now this word for lay is stronger than simply placing one's hand on the head. It means to lean upon or press into. It means that the sacrifice is now holding up the weight of the worshiper, he's placing his full weight on him and letting the sacrifice carry him. He is signifying that the weight of his burden to bring his worship into the presence of God solely lies upon the sacrifice. This reliance is being transferred to the sacrifice. And the sacrifice alone then is what makes atonement for him. Well, atonement comes from the Hebrew word meaning to cover. And so this sacrifice covers all his guilt, covers all his faults, covers all his imperfections. You could say the sacrifice has it covered for him. And atonement, then this, this covering puts this worshiper at one mint with God. You can hear at one minute coming from the word atonement. It means to bring peace to God that they're unified now. 
That is what atonement brings about. Now that there is peace with God, we are enabled to offer up our worship to God. That's what the sacrifice brings about. And what the sacrifice does in order to make us and our worship acceptable to God is to be violently slaughtered. Look at verses 5 through 7. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. So what we see here is a violent death take place. You can imagine the worshiper taking this animal up to the altar and then placing the knife to its neck and slitting its throat, watching the blood spurt out, hearing the animal's death scream, and watching it fall to the ground. And then the blood is thrown against the altar, a violent motion. And the animal is then flayed and cut into many pieces. And then the whole thing is set on fire and burned. We have here a vivid picture of what is required in order to make atonement for our sins. This is what is required to deal with our sin and to bring us back into the presence of God so that we are at one with Him, so that we may have peace with Him. It would be a bloody, violent death which our Lord Jesus would face as His skin was violently torn with scourging beyond recognition, being hung naked on the cross, the most excruciating way to die, and face God's wrath in His soul for our sins. This is what was required to bring us back into the presence of God. And that is why Christ took our place on the cross, meaning that is what we should have gotten. That should have been our place. But Christ took it in our stead. This is because this is what our sin deserves. This is how bad sin is. The sacrifice shows us how our sin needs to be dealt with in order to satisfy God's justice. As the hymn reminds us, you who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. But it does truly remove the guilt of all our sin and fully and alone satisfies God. It alone is a pleasing aroma to God. Verse 9, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now obviously God does not have a nose, so that He's literally smelling this, or being soothed like man. This is an analogy that uses our experiences. Something we can relate to. When we smell something pleasing and we, we are soothed, it's giving us a picture 
of God's judgment for our sin being satisfied. God's wrath being turned away so that we are accepted by Him. The only way for God to be pleased with regard to our sin is by the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. It doesn't say God smells the sacrifice and then smells some frankincense on us and the combination of the two is what soothes God. No, it's a sacrifice and the sacrifice alone that satisfies God as it pertains to our sin. So we must fully depend and rely on the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus in order for God to be pleased with us. And once God is pleased with us through the offering of Jesus, then and only then does He begin to work in us that which is pleasing in His sight. We also learn from this burnt offering that God puts no hindrance in our way to come to Him. That God puts no hindrance in our way to come to Him. And we learn this in the fact that there's other animals that are allowed to be offered. If the worshiper cannot afford a bull from his herd, which would be the most expensive of the animals, then he may offer up a sheep or a goat, something that's less valuable, less costly, from his flock, as verse 10 says. And he goes through the same procedure, and the same result comes about. Verse 13, it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But if he is still too poor, then he may offer up a bird, verse 14. And while the process is a bit different, nevertheless, it's still a violent death as the neck is wrung and it is burned on the altar with its smoke going up to the Lord. And we see the same result in verse 17, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Again, only the sacrifice bringing this. But what God is showing is that He will put no obstacle in the way of any sinner who desires to come to Him. If you did not have a bowl, you did not have to wait until you worked enough to save up money to buy it. That would be contrary to the point of the sacrifice. You did not need to work for it. Rather, you can bring even a bird. We see from this that God will put no obstacle in the way of any sinner who long to come to Him. The obstacle is not God putting something in the way. It's always us. It's always us. God freely offers forgiveness, reconciliation, and fellowship to anyone who desires to come to Him. God desires sinners to come to Him. God does not desire the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from His ways and live. God is a God who waits on high to have compassion. At no point, at no point, does any sinner come to God and God say, no, get away from me. You were not worthy enough to come before me. Rather, God says, I have given you my Son, that if you believe on Him, you will be saved. Any sinner may come. I will in no way cast out the one who comes to me. There is no obstacle in coming to God. He puts no obstacle in the way of the sinner. 
And so God calls out to all, come without money and without price. And He is eager and ready to save. God is more willing to forgive than we are to receive it. God is the willing party and puts no obstacle in our way to come to Him. And so the burnt offering shows that we can draw near to God to worship Him and that He is the one who provides the way. And now that the burnt offering has been offered up to open the way to worship God, this brings us to a second offering revealing the way in which we worship God, and that is the grain offering, or literally the, the gift or tribute offering. And these next points will go faster. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour. He shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. And he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, or literally a fire offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So this English word in the ESV, grain, is a Hebrew word tribute or gift offering. I think the reason why the English translators translate it as grain offering is because of the substance of what was brought. But the word refers to a tribute or a gift, and that is the focus of this offering, bringing a gift to the Lord. Now, of course, uh, we need to keep in mind what the Bible says. Who has ever given a gift to the Lord that he should repay? Or what the Apostle Paul says in Acts 17 in addressing uh, the Greeks at the Areopagus, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Rather, the reason why we give anything to the Lord is because this is our reasonable service to God. This is the way a creature should respond to the Creator. This is the proper relationship with our Creator. With our creator. It is us living for our God. And this is what the gift and tribute offering is all about. Once the way has been opened, to God by the burnt offering, then we are able to do what we ought, to live for God, to serve Him. And this is represented by bringing grain, which is part of the harvest, or the first fruits, as we see in this chapter. Uh, the works of their own hands, which God has blessed. It pictures us giving ourselves to the Lord in service to Him. Now in Romans chapter 12, and this shows us then how we apply this as New Covenant Christians. But in Romans chapter 12, Paul uses the Greek word for the sacrifice in Leviticus 2, coming from the Septuagint, to refer to our service as living sacrifices to God. He says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by that burnt offering that was offered up on their behalf, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, uh, literally grain or tribute offering, the word used from Leviticus 2, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable worship. And he also uses that word in Philippians 4.18 in reference to the 
monetary support he received from the Philippians. He called it the same thing. So we, so this would also refer to the monetary offerings we, we bring to the church. And we'll see that uh, in just a moment. And from this offering, we learn several things about our worship to God. First, it is based upon the burnt offering, as I've already been alluding to. The order in which these are presented is important. Before we bring the labors of our hands, the first fruits of the ground, we must first have the sacrifice that makes atonement for us and makes us acceptable to God, that whole burnt offering. You remember Cain and Abel? They, brought, they both brought an offering. Uh, Abel brought a burnt offering, a whole burnt offering, as you see in chapter 1. And then Cain brought an offering of the first fruits, which is what we see in chapter 2 of Leviticus. And Cain's offering was rejected, but Abel's was accepted. You ever wonder why that was? Well, whereas Abel brought a sacrifice from his flock, that burnt offering, Cain brought something from the ground, this grain or gift offering. And when we look at Leviticus and we consider the rest of the Bible, we infer that whereas Abel was depending upon the sacrifice uh, to get to God for his acceptance before God, Cain thought he could bypass that and offer up the works of his hands right away. Jump right into the gift offering. Therefore, his offering was rejected while Abel's was accepted. Abel was depending on the sacrifice in his place. And that is why the book of Hebrews says that Abel acted in faith. Whereas Cain was trusting in his own works. While we ought to do good works for God, we are to bring a gift offering, so to speak. Yet we do not depend upon that or these good works as our acceptance before God. Rather, we depend upon this burnt offering that is the sacrifice that Christ offered for our acceptance. A second thing we learn is that we are to serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 1 where it says that the offering is to have oil poured on it. Now pouring oil in something refers to the anointing of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. And so this seems to symbolize that any of our gifts and acts of service are to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength, not in the strength of the flesh. Third, we are to serve the Lord with joy. Oil is used as a symbol also of joy and gladness throughout Scripture. In fact, during times of mourning, oil was forbidden. And so we serve God not out of a slavish fear of hell or just doing dead duty so as to not incur guilt and avoid His judgment or deal with our shame, but rather with gladness of heart, out of gratitude for what Christ has done, out of gratitude for that acceptance we have by that burnt offering offered up by Christ, knowing and being assured of the peace and acceptance we have with God. Fourth, the offering had frankincense. This was a very sweet-smelling aroma. It is, as verse 2 says, a pleasing aroma to God. And this seems to indicate that these good works done only through 
the atonement and acceptance of the burnt offering are pleasing to God. And this should then encourage us to serve the Lord by offering ourselves up, pleasing to Him, doing good works, because God has accepted them in Christ. They are a pleasing aroma to Him. Fifth, our service is to benefit God's people. We see this in verse 3, that a portion goes to the priest who offered it up on behalf of the worshiper. And Paul uses this point in 1 Corinthians 9 to point out that those who minister full-time are to be provided for by God's people, by their offering. And so part of the worship that God wants us to offer to Him is giving of our monetary gifts to supply the needs of pastors and missionaries. And six, we learn that these gifts are to be from a genuine and incorruptible love to the Lord. We see this from verses 11 through 12, where it says that they are not to offer this gift with leaven or honey. Now, leaven is often used as a symbol of sin in Scripture, but I don't believe that is the point here, because as we'll go on to see, leaven is used for other sacrifices as well. Leaven and honey here seem to refer to that which expedites the decaying process, uh, which uh, is what they would have seen it as. Leaven and honey, while things, while making things more pleasant to eat, were recognized as a decaying agent at that time. On the other hand, salt was recognized as a preserving agent. And so we see in verse 13 that each gift is to have salt. It is called the salt of the covenant as a metaphor for speaking about God's covenant being preserved. And so we are to not be temporary servants who come into God's presence and then fall away. As as we see with the seeds that sprang up for a little while, but then fell away. It was just a fad. It was just something they did because their family did it, but they did not have a true heart of devotion to the Lord. And so they ended up not serving him continually and growing in that service. Rather, we are to offer up ourselves and our service in a true and incorruptible love, which is only possible in Christ and the preserving or persevering grace that we have in the new covenant. A third offering revealing the way we are to worship God is the peace offering. We see this in chapter 3. Now this is also called a friendship offering or a communion offering. What this highlights is the friendship or communion and fellowship we have with God because we have peace with Him. Think about the friends you have. The good ones. (laughs) That's what makes a friend. Don't, don't you enjoy spending time with them? Out of everyone you want to invite over, rather than a stranger, even though you know you should invite a stranger over and show in hospitality, but you would prefer to have your friends with you. That's where you really enjoy spending time with. We find pleasure and enjoy their presence. Well, this is the way it is to be with our God. That we are His friends. That we have friendship, fellowship, communion with Him. Worship is not only the service we do for God, but also our enjoyment of Him 
the pleasure of having communion with them. This is stated in question one of the Westminster Shorter, Shorter Catechism, which asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy, enjoy Him forever. Well, this sacrifice reveals the enjoyment we have in our communion with God. First, uh, what do we learn? First, we see that the sacrifice has to be perfect. We see this in verse 1, and that the bull or cow had to be without blemish. The offering could also be from the flock, a sheep or a goat, but it also had to be without blemish, as verse 6 says. Again, fellowship with God is based on the perfection of the sacrifice. Only perfection can draw near to God, but thankfully that perfection is not provided by us, but by the sacrifice on our behalf. And so secondly, we again see the worshiper leaning his hand upon the head of the animal in verses 2, 8, and 13. Whatever the animal was offered, he had to lean on it. Again, demonstrating dependence, reliance, fully leaning on the sacrifice to provide that peace and fellowship with God. Thirdly, we again see the need for a violent, bloody death to occur. We see that at the end of verse 8, the end of verse 2, and the end of verse 13, that the blood was thrown. Peace with God, having communion with Him, fellowship with Him, would come at the cost of a violent death. The cost of Christ offering up Himself for our sins. But fourth, this sacrifice is actually based on the whole burnt offering. We see this in verse 5, where it says, Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood of the fire. So the peace offering would be offered alongside the burnt offering, but it would be placed on top of the whole burnt offering. And this was to demonstrate that peace with God depended upon this burnt offering that made atonement for sin and made the worshiper acceptable before God. But the difference with the peace offering is that whereas the whole burnt offering was completely burned, the peace offering could be eaten. This is important because it demonstrates that the worshiper personally benefited from the sacrifice, was fed by it, and also that the worshiper had communion with God through the sacrifice. One of the top ways in the ancient Near East to demonstrate friendship and acceptance and communion was by way of a meal, sitting down for a meal together. Sharing a meal with, some, with someone was a sign of friendship, fellowship, belonging, and acceptance. Well, this is what is being communicated through the eating of the peace offering. They would sit down for a meal in the presence of God, signifying that they are sitting down for a meal with God, enjoying the peace and acceptance, the communion, fellowship, and friendship with God. And this is actually what the Lord's Supper is about. One of the things communicated to us in the Lord's Supper, it pictures eating Christ's body and blood, not literally, but spiritually, as an indication of the benefit we receive from Christ's 
sacrifice, that we personally benefit from it through faith and communicate in the communion and acceptance we have with our Lord. Sitting down for a meal together in the presence of Christ who is with us by His Spirit in a special way. Now, there were parts that the worshiper did not eat in the peace offering. The fat, the kidneys, the liver. The fat was the best part. But the worshiper could not eat that. That was sacrificed to the Lord, indicating that we are to devote our best to the Lord and not just give Him the leftovers. And these internal organs, kidneys and liver, indicate the bowels were being given to the Lord. Now the bowels symbolize giving our hearts to the Lord, to use our vernacular. The way the Hebrews spoke of this was to give their bowels to the Lord, give their kidneys and liver to the Lord. Uh, This is our way of saying giving our heart to the Lord. If we were to sing that song, Lord, I give you my heart, if we were Hebrews, we would say, Lord, I give you my kidneys, I give you my liver, or I accept Jesus into my liver, accept Jesus into my kidneys. That's the way they would express it back then. We say heart in our culture because that's what makes sense. But for them, it was giving the kidneys or the liver. A lot of times in the Hebrew, uh, where it says, uh, oh, oh Lord, I give you my kidneys or something like that, It'll translate it as heart, but then you'll notice a footnote that says kidneys or liver. and That's what's being communicated there. However, I want you to notice that in this giving of the kidneys, giving of the heart, giving of the bowels, giving of the, the, the inside of the person that communicates this inner devotion, giving the whole inner devotion and a true heart to the Lord fully, that it was ultimately the sacrifice that gave it up to the Lord. We are to do this. We are to not hold back from the Lord. We are to give Him our all. We are to give Him our whole heart, our whole kidney, our whole liver, our whole bowels. We are to love Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every beat of our heart, every affection, every desire, every thought is to be wholly devoted to the Lord. That is pure worship. But we fail to do that. We do not do this, though we ought. And that is why we must rely on the sacrifice to do it in our place. Notice it was the sacrifice offered on behalf of the worshiper that the worshiper leaned upon that gave the Lord its kidneys and inner parts. Whereas we should be doing that. Since we fail to do it, we must rely on the sacrifice to do it. And this points to our Lord Jesus Christ, who truly gave God the Father His whole heart and His whole inner devotion on our behalf. He is the one that loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength in our place and offered that up for us. This is what this sacrifice typified and pointed to. As Christ said when He came into the world, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open air or a body you have prepared for me. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law 
is within my heart. What we were to do and what we failed to do, Jesus did in our place. In even His inner devotion being our righteousness. How many times have we not only failed to do God's will, but when we kind of did it, we did it begrudgingly. Or only so we didn't look bad. Or only so we could make up for our guilt rather than fully delighting with perfect joy to do it. But Christ, our perfect righteousness, is the one who did it in our behalf with perfect delight and perfect joy. And He is the one who has given the Lord His whole inner devotion in our place as our righteousness. And so we must rely fully on this sacrifice in our place as our sole perfection and righteousness by which we may draw near to God and do so with boldness and confidence, not because we have a right heart, oftentimes we don't, but because Christ had a right heart in our place. We depend upon that. And so, as Hebrews 13, 15 says, we have confidence to, through Him then, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name because of the perfect sacrifice offered up in our behalf. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we ask that You would help us to lean fully on this sacrifice and then to worship You in the way that You have called us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.